Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, where we will study Psalm 56. The outline of our time in God's Word will go this way. A story behind a song, a story behind a song, and a story behind a song. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Songs are powerful, aren't they? Did you know that the second most repeated command for practice, not just general commands, but something that you should do. First one is prayer. The second is sing. The second most repeated command for a practice that you should do in your Christian life is sing. Songs are powerful. Stories are powerful. Stories behind songs, double power. First, Matt Merker rewrote an old hymn called He Will Hold Me Fast. Matt's a friend of mine. We overlapped at a church together in Washington, D.C. And the story behind this song, He Will Hold Me Fast, is that Matt and I were both members of a local church. And one of our friends, and I think a few of his other friends, decided to give up the faith altogether. No longer be Christians and declare that there is a different worldview, a different religion, this or that. Talking 2011, a little over 11 years ago, I know the people that he's thinking about when he shares in the story. You can watch the little tidbit on YouTube. Matt Marker shares that he was shaken in his own faith. It was at the Together for the Gospel Conference in 2012, so a year later, he hears John Piper preach about the doxology in the book of Jude and how we love because he loves. We'll hold fast to Jesus because he's holding fast to us. We'll keep our faith because he's keeping us. And he was reminded of this hymn, but the tune was old, it needed refreshed, and Matt was inspired to write a third verse. And so the opening line is fitting in light of that story, isn't it? When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Number two, a story and a song. 
That was Matt Merker's story behind the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. In Psalm 56, we have a story behind the song that we know as Psalm 56. If you have your Bibles on page 446 of those Black Pew Bibles, you'll see the story reference. To the choir master, according to the dove, on far-off terebinths, a miktam of David. If you're hoping for a little insight on what all that means or what that tune is, I'm not going to be able to help you. But we know it's a song to the choir master, and according to some kind of tune that has to do with doves and terebinths, Miktam, again, unsure what it means, but we do know of David, and we do know when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Story time. You all have heard of David, right? Even if you've never read the Bible, my guess is that all of you, Christian, non-Christian, all welcome, hopefully you'll enjoy a, a brief little summary that David is that famous king of Israel that when he was a young boy fought the giant Goliath from Gath. So there they are, Israel on one side, the Philistines on another. And as is in this ancient custom, in order to preserve and protect people's lives, they would represent their nation with one warrior that will face another warrior. And so Philistines have a nine feet giant Goliath from Gath, who comes forward to represent the Philistines. And on the other side, the Israelites have a small shepherd boy named David. Can't even really fit in the armor that he's wearing. And he's holding stones in a sling. And read carefully the story, and you'll notice that it's not because of David's skill as a shepherd boy. It's not because of David's ability to be quick-witted and sharp with his sling. It is because of his confidence in God. And he comes in the name of the Lord, and he takes down Goliath from Gath and chops his head off. Fast forward in our story about David. He is now the anointed king. Anointed, not appointed yet, not ruling yet, but now a little older, a little bigger, and he is the anointed king to take over the place of King Saul. And as you have heard several times in this sermon series in recent weeks, King Saul does not like that David has been chosen to take over. So he wants him killed, and so David runs. And at one point in that story, which was just read for us by Kenny, he comes to Gath. Oh, you mean the place where the Goliath giant is from? The Philistine town called Gath, where Goliath was born and raised and became a giant? That place? And just in case you missed the in-between detail, he's carrying with him the sword that he stole from Goliath to use to chop Goliath's head off. He's walking around in Gath. Friends, sometimes the Bible is entertaining. This is an incredible story. And what we had just read for us was 
that David was afraid. He was sorely afraid, the old King James says. He was super afraid. That's the story. Here's the song, Psalm 56. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause, and their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life, for their crime. Will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. And thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And I pray that he would write its eternal truth on our hearts. Amen. Your one-sentence summary of this incredible song. Whether you have the story or not, this is a beautiful poem about trust in God. So here it is, in one sentence, even in the face of death, God's word will transform our fear into faith and faithfulness. Even in the face of death, God's word will transform our fear into faith and faithfulness. This is really obvious just reading it. It's even more obvious when you realize that Repeated refrain. You read through it one time and you'll realize, oh, I think we just said that. Did you notice verses three and four? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And then if you drop down to verses 10 and 11, in God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Clearly, there's some kind of parallelism where the one half, the first part, parallels the second half. So it makes you just look a little closer for the structure of this song. And I think as you look through it, you'll notice the three major sections. Verses 1 and 2 parallel the last two verses, 12 and 13. Then you have this refrain about trust as the second sections. And then we have our middle section. And I just want to walk through them so that you see that even in the face of death, God's word 
will transform your fear into faith and faithfulness. So look at verses 1 and 2, and notice that David is in the face of death, which our story tells us very plainly that he is. He's in Gath, where Goliath was from, and the Philistines. Do you know the song that went around about David? Number one hit on the radio of the day? David slain his thousands, or Saul slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This was like a little rhyme that they would say. Well, do you know who those ten thousands that they're referring to in this little song about David? Mostly Philistines. So he is in the place where these people want to kill him because he's running from his home where the king wants to kill him. Verses 1 and 2. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me from on high would be the literal translation. And I think that that's important. It could be communicating pride, but I think it's important to see the highness that he's saying. They're above me and they're coming down on me. Keep that in mind when we get to the middle prayer in verse 7. But look at verses 12 and 13. David, in the face of death, by the end of our song, 12 and 13, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. David is faithfully, by faith, worshiping in the context of God's people. Corporate worship. I will perform vows and render thank offerings. In the face of death, in Gath, he is looking forward to the day when he will worship by faith and in faithfulness, which is highlighted in verse 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. And soul here is nephesh in Hebrew, and it could just mean his life. So you delivered my life from death. Don't just think about non-material soul inside of just what represents him as a person. It's just another way of talking about a human being. For you've delivered me from death, he says. Yes, my feet from falling And then this continual verb of walking day after day after day is where I get the word faithfulness. You've kept my feet from falling. You've delivered me from death. And I will walk before God in the light of life. I will walk according to the light of the word of God, the path of God. Death, verses 1 and 2, which brings fear, results in faith and faithfulness. Do you, do you see that very simply? That our, our psalm is bookended in that way. So then you'll notice that it's because of the word of God, which is section two, and that repeated refrain, David in the face of death, when he is afraid, verse three says, he puts his trust in God, but not just God generally, in God's word he praises. And this is the only time in all of the psalms where the psalmist praises the word in this way. I trust God. I put my hope and trust in God, in his word. And I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? And you all know the answer to that question. Oh, the flesh can do a whole lot. Flesh just means humans, humans that are in the flesh. What, what can other people do to you? Well, they can twist your words, he's about to say in the next verse. They can slander you. They can chase you out of your home. They can persecute you. They can kill you. The flesh can do all kinds of things. 
But as we just saw in verse 12 and 13, he is confident in God delivering him from death. So if God can deliver him from death, what's the worst they could do? Kill me? I'm going to be delivered. Flesh can do nothing to me. Not in the most ultimate sense. So it is God's word that transforms David. And notice that the repeated refrain, 3 and 4, with 10 and 11, pay very careful, close attention to the details. It's similar, but it's different. Verse 10, in God, whose word I praise, that's repeated. But then notice that instead of God, Elohim, general word for a spiritual divine being, Yahweh. In Yahweh, the personal name of God, the personal presence, the covenant name of God. It's his word, Yahweh's word that I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? In the face of death, God's word will transform David's fear, our fear, your fear into faith and faithfulness. I want to just pause before we move on to that middle section. I want to make sure we understand why Embassy Church centers itself around the Word of God. Our statement of faith says that all matters of life and doctrine must be tested by the supreme authority of God's Word. All matters, every aspect of your life, should fall underneath of the authority of God's Word. That's what we believe. Every member of this church at least says, I don't disagree with that. I may not understand all of what that means, but I don't disagree with that. But most of you I know, you wholeheartedly believe this. We trust God's word. So when you open your handout for worship, you should see every week on the left-hand side, we sing God's word, meaning we sing truths from God's word. We care less about how talented your musicians are on stage. We care more about the truth of the words we're singing. And this is something that churches, I think, too often get wrong. And even church members are thinking way too much about the performance on a stage than the power of the words that we're singing. So we sing God's word. We read God's word because in 1 Timothy 4, we're commanded to not give up reading the word of God publicly as we gather together. It's a command from scripture, so we want to obey by just reading the Bible. And then on the basis of those words, we want to pray in accordance with God's word. And then we preach God's word. And then we remember that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that we eat his body and we drink his blood. We're a word-centered church by design. That wasn't a mistake, a typo. That is who we are. Welcome to Embassy Church. We exist to glorify Jesus Christ and make disciples, and we do that around God's word. And one little pastoral caveat before we conclude this last little part of the psalm. Some of you might think, you know, I'm not much of a reader. I'm more of a, a doer with my hands. I'm not somebody that likes to read long, hard, difficult theological books. And, and this church has, I've observed, a handful of you that like the reading of difficult, hard theological books. And I praise God for that. But before any of you start to think that that in and of itself is faithfulness, it's, it's a part of the equation. It is vital. It's important. 
reading scripture, memorizing scripture, singing truths from scripture, helping one another. But the diversity of the body of Christ will mean some of you are more educated and some of you are less educated. For the majority of Christians that have walked this earth, faithful believers in Jesus, many of them have not even been able to read. That does not mean that they are somehow less spiritual than somebody that reads their Bible every day and is more educated. And it certainly should that if you do know how to read and you've got a printed copy of God's word, how much more responsibility, too much has been given, much more will be required. But it would be unhelpful if we create an idolatry around the Bible itself and not see that it is God himself that we are ultimately after. It is him who is reflected in his word, and it is Jesus Christ who is the word incarnate. Therefore, remember that when we talk about being a word-centered church, we are saying none other than we are a Jesus-centered church. So if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Phil, I would confess, I'm less educated than the average person, and I don't enjoy reading books for hours and hours. You are welcomed into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I do enjoy reading those books, benefit from them every week by coming and hearing sermons. Benefit from them from those other brothers and sisters that do. And don't think about this as competition of who can read more big books. And think a bit about we are all one in Christ. And we want to use our gifts. And if you have more servant-hearted oriented gifts, and you have more intellectual reading oriented gifts, let's use those gifts so we all present the body of Jesus mature in him. This is about Jesus through the word. But make no mistake, our feeling-centered, oriented society flips the script about the foundations of truth and reality, and we need God's word to set us straight week in and week out. We need discipleship around God's word to help us when we're afraid. In God's word, we trust not my fears and my feelings. End of little application caveat. Let's finish this powerful song by seeing the center section. And I hope you'll see with me that this has a very surprising twist that has power. God's word has an incredible image of power regarding his love and care for you. Verses 5 and 6 is section 3, part A. All day long, they injure my cause, and there's a footnote in the ESV Bible, and I think that the footnote should be taken. More literally, it's all day long, they are twisting my words, and all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. So we started with, in the face of death, we then moved to, I will trust in the word of God, and then section three. The center of the psalm, he says, they're all over me. They're twisting my words. They're lurking. They're, they're watching me closely. So what's the contrast to this? David prays, and your middle verse is verse 7, and notice he prays, for their crime will they escape, or I think more accurately, concerning their wickedness, I pray that you would deliver them, either from their own wickedness or... It's a prayer, deliver those that are being persecuted like David from wickedness. But notice, coming back to the there on high language, verse 7, in wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. And that's where our psalm turns. 
but the turn that it makes was not what I was expecting. I don't think it would be what you're expecting. They're after me. They're after me. So bring them down. God's going to bring them down. He says that, but he also says this. You have kept count of my tossings, more literally wanderings, because remember, he's wandering around. He's running for his life. You have kept count of every time I've had to run for my life. You have kept count of every tear and put them in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. This I know, that God is for me. I want you to think about that little line in light of what I just read to you about God's watching, caring love communicated in verse 8. Let's just hone in and meditate deeply on verse 8. You keep count you keep watch, you keep record of everything going on. And then he points out two specific things. His wanderings and his tears. So the parallel in verses 5 and 6 is that they're watching me all day long. They watch my steps. They're waiting and just looking to find an opportunity to get me. He contrasts that with God's careful watch of David. How, how careful is God's sight of David? Well, Jesus uses the phrase, he knows every hair on your head. I have fewer of those these days. But he knows every one of them. He knows every hair on your head. The meticulous care of God. He knows every tear that falls from your face. And then he collects it in his wine flask bottle. This word in the Hebrew, every time it's translated throughout the Hebrew Bible, is translated wineskin. Remember Jesus' little parable about wineskins? It's, it's a pouch of leather. You'd use pouches of leather for expensive things that you wanted to protect and preserve and make sure that it wasn't lost. Ointments, perfumes, wine. That's the word he uses. This pouch that would have been very expensive to own in itself, but then it is the things inside of it that is even more precious. Brothers and sisters, if you were needing some encouragement today to know that the God of the universe cares about you and loves you, I give you none better than Psalm 56, verse 8. He keeps count of every wandering. And then your ESV translated tossings. So have you ever had a sleepless night? Have you ever been tossing and turning? He knows every single one of those nights. You've forgotten half of them. He knows every one of them. They're in his book. Oh, but better than that. He cares about every single teardrop from your eye. And then he saves them in his wineskin. He has a wineskin with your name on it, and it's every tear that falls from your eye. Is there, is there a, a more precious or encouraging word you could hear today than knowing that the God of the universe, so infinite in power, can destroy and judge the enemies of God and can overthrow the grave, also intimately, carefully loves you and is putting up a wineskin to your cheek and letting each tear fall into it and he preserves it because he does not want that to be lost. Brothers and sisters, this is the God of the Bible. Guests or visitors that do not know the God of the Bible get to know the God of the Bible through the word of God. And realize that even in spite of all of your many sins 
and rebellious attitudes against this God, your thanklessness, your inability to worship because of the brokenness of your own heart, he still in grace and love pursues you and loves you. And through his word wants to tell you again and again how great that mercy is. And this is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as we've said, the word became flesh to demonstrate his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, God wants to demonstrate love by dying on the cross for our sins, by being raised from the dead and ascending to the Father's right hand and then pouring out the spirit that would change your heart to know that he is not a God only of anger and wrath, but he is a God of abounding love and mercy. Trust him. Trust the word. Trust especially the word made flesh. And when you feel afraid, put your trust in Jesus. A story and a song. Number three. Tuesday marks one year that my mom passed. I remember the week after the diagnosis that she had leukemia. I'm in worship. And I'm in worship with these other brothers. It's this one-day pastor's conference in the southeast corner of Chicago. And we sing a song. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. But he must hold me fast. And then in between verses one and two, have you ever listened to scripture or sang a song that you've sang a thousand times, but because of the events in your life, afresh, God meets you powerfully? This is the story I'm telling you about me. In between verses one and two, immediately, Floods of memories, of thoughts, of fears. She's going to die. And then we sang these words. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in his holy sight, precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last, bought by him at such a cost. Immediately, I was transformed by these words, this song. I could sing them. I just listened to the brothers around me sing these words, and I thought, the weak, sick, frail flesh of my mom that's on the way to death is precious in his sight. Precious. And he delights to save sinners like her. He'll not let her soul be lost because his promises will last. She was bought with a precious cost.
and he will hold her fast. I didn't choose it, but my mom did. We gathered right in this room. Many of you were here. We sang two songs. As we remembered my mom's life, as we celebrated that her death was not the end of the story, and as we declared what Psalm 56 verse 13 says, for you have delivered my soul from death, for you have delivered my mom's soul from death, we sang, he will hold me fast, and we sang, the Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So as we close this service, I want you to know I did not intentionally, over a month ago, plan this service and think, oh, it's two days before the anniversary of my mom's death. We should sing a song that's going to make me cry. But it seems fitting, doesn't it? Anyone shed a tear? It's okay. They're in his bottle. And one day he will wipe every one of them away. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and our heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who died in our place, the one who is risen and reigning and intercedes on our behalf, who graciously poured about poured out upon us the Holy Spirit, who Romans 8 says, there are such sufferings that we don't even have words to pray, but he groans for us. So God, we groan about the enemy of death. It's still here. We groan and we, we lament the reality of loss. And when we don't have any words because we're so lost, we're feeling that our faith may even fail. I pray that we would remember that you will hold on to us. You will hold us fast. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, and we want to pray that the word of God would be trusted by each and every one of us. I thank you for my mom's example and her persevering faith and trust in your word, and I pray that her memory and her example and her faith, even in the face of death, would lead us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.